this afternoon I was kind of inspired to start what's probably going to be a two-part series. You don't usually do two-part series at One in Messiah, but this is going to be a two-part series from Ephesians chapter 6. And Ephesians chapter 6 is a very important chapter of the whole scripture and particularly of the New Testament. Because as you see, and as I'm sure you know, it's about the putting on the armor of God. It's about a defense against the evil one. And it's about the one offensive weapon, which is the sword, which is the word. And if you're not familiar, if you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, please read Ephesians chapter 6 for your homework, particularly from about verse 10 on. Because Paul just does a fantastic description of what we're up against. And as a good friend of mine who is a longtime evangelist always says, if you don't know that we're in spiritual warfare right now, you are already a casualty. All you have to do is look around, not only at the world, but even at the church, even in the church, and see that we are in a time of profound spiritual warfare. So we're going to go with it today. Tonight's going to kind of be the groundwork of it. And then next Friday, when we meet live again, and just to refresh your memory, and for I, I hope that the normal people that come are watching. I shouldn't say normal people because I should say our core group because saying normal people implies there's abnormal people that come, <laughs> which is probably true too, starting with me. But anyway, Next week, we'll be back at 709 Brook Park Road, which is Calvary Chapel. And we'll do our usual praise music, teaching, maybe have some prayer time afterwards because we're going to be talking about some very serious things that we have to do in our spiritual life next week. But tonight's going to be the groundwork. So I am going to have to... Bring the PowerPoint up. There we go. And unfortunately, I thought that my little clicker thing would work to advance the slides, but it doesn't. So maybe I'll move this a little closer. Yeah, there we go. Plus, if I put a little me in the corner, it won't really matter. <laughs> so this is called Warfare, and it's actually Warfare Part 1. And it's, of course, about spiritual warfare. So we go to Ephesians 6. Oh, I said start at verse 10. Actually, verse 10 is kind of in the middle of the path. Start at verse 6. Now, Ephesians, of course, is, I hate to say a masterpiece because all of Paul's letters are masterpieces. Romans is the most amazing one. Um, Galatians is a close second. And why Corinthians, the, the two Corinthian letters, are unbelievable because, of course, Paul develops the gospel and develops the whole basis of the new covenant and through his letters. So the most zealous of the Pharisees becomes the apostle of grace and the apostle to the Gentiles. So that's really pretty awesome. But he writes to the Ephesians, and of course, if you know about what happens in Ephesus, he gets in huge trouble there because the whole city is devoted to the goddess Artemis. Um, the big industry there is the temple of Artemis. 
And people make pilgrimages there from all over. And of course, they buy food and stay overnight and buy souvenirs. When Paul shows up and starts leading people to Jesus, the idol makers start losing business. The temple kind of gets less and less people. And so the people rebel against Paul because he's hurting them not only theologically, but economically. But you can read that in not only, not so much in Ephesians as in the book of Acts, but it's worth reading because like everything else in the scriptures, we're facing the same situation today in our time. And all you have to do is look at the abortion industry and how scared Planned Parenthood was when their money started dropping off. Now, of course, in this administration, it's been booming again, but it kind of gives you the idea. We don't want to learn truth. We don't want to learn biblical truth and morality because it affects the economy. And this is what Paul was facing in Ephesus. So when he writes to the Ephesians, see Ephesus, of course, when you read the account in Acts, it's kind of like the real time of what's happening. And when you write and read the letter to the Ephesians, he's somewhere else writing the letter to the Ephesians. But anyway, so 6 through 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So he's talking about spiritual warfare. And spiritual warfare never ends. It's been going on. Since the Garden of Eden, it's gone on all through the history of the scripture from Genesis to the Gospels, through the Gospels, through Paul's time, and then all through the history of the Christian church, starting with the apostles. And today it is revved up full blast because we know that we're in the end of the end time. And in the book of Revelation, it says, when Satan knows his time is short, he gets very aggressive. And we see now the cancel culture. Satan is getting very aggressive. So it's spiritual warfare. It never ends. And it's war, of course, between the two kingdoms. And it is actually warfare. We don't look at it that way. Somebody once said, if the veil around us was withdrawn and we saw what was going on around us, we would be horrified. If these battles, as we're going to see, Paul says, they take place in the heavenlies. We'll explain that in a minute. So there's warfare, not only on the personal level, but on the universal level, on the kingdom level. Satan has his own kingdom wants as many people to be in his kingdom as possible because, as he says, he would rather rule in hell than serve in heaven. We are here happy to serve Yeshua. We're here happy to be disciples. Satan was never happy to serve. Satan wants to reign and to rule. And as you know, he even tempts Yeshua in the wilderness and offers him the kingdoms of the world bow down and worship. So it's on a huge level, on a universal level, and of course it's also on a personal level because each person goes through their own spiritual warfare 
as you walk through this wilderness that's our Christian life. It's a battle that is always going on. Satan wants to neutralize you. He would kill you if he could, but he can't. But he wants to neutralize you. He doesn't want you to be effective. He doesn't want you to evangelize. He doesn't want you to preach the gospel. He doesn't want you to worship. Because he wants control over your life. So it's a personal level, and, of course, it's a universal level. Now, since we're in a fight, since we're in a war, it's more than a fight, we're in a war, we have a king that we're fighting for. We're fighting for the king of kings and the lord of lords. And everybody who goes to war is going to war fighting for a government, fighting for their country. In the old days, it was fighting for a monarchy. But we have a king that we fight for. And we have a banner that we fight under. The dark kingdom, the demonic kingdom, I don't know if they have a banner or not. But we have a banner that we we fight under. And as um, the book of Isaiah tells us, and I've done quite a few teachings on this, that God brings the Gentiles into the kingdom and then raises a banner the whole kingdom, which, of course, is the cross. So we fight under a banner. We have a king that we fight for against a different kingdom, against a dark kingdom. And so since we're in a war, we need to be armed. We need to have defenses. Now, a gun's not going to do it. Not going to do it. Cannons, airplanes, missiles aren't going to do it. Our personal strategy is not going to do it. Our personal plans of how to fight are not going to do it. So how do we fight this battle? This is what Paul's talking about here. He says, be strong in the Lord. He says, so that you can stand in battle, so that you can withstand suffering. Be strong to stand in the battle. We're going to see casualties all around us. We've seen casualties. How many people do you know that went to church with you once, twice, three times a week, went to the Bible studies with you, went to the prayer meeting, Was were involved in all the, they were all doing the stuff, as John Wimber used to say, and now you don't see them anymore. Maybe you see them once in a while on Sunday morning. But then they kind of got away from the Bible study and, you know, nobody even bothers having Wednesday night and Sunday night services anymore because nobody goes. People have fallen away. Paul writes this to the Thessalonians. The great falling away happens at the end. We've seen that. So we have casualties all around us. We have people in the church that have become casualties in every denomination. Almost every denomination is now splitting because there's a liberal wing and a conservative wing. There's a woke wing that's totally destroyed any knowledge of Scripture or any foundation in Scripture or even in Christian teaching of 2,000 years and is racing to be more and more like the world with all the dark abyss that the world is in. Love to do it. They, 
they just love to do it because they want everybody to like them better. They want people to come, come as you are, put the flag up, you know, affirm everybody. And so we're seeing casualties even in denominations of Christianity. Whole denominations have become casualties. I'm not going to go through names and stuff. But Paul writes here that we have to stand in the battle. We don't say, well, well, I don't know. Maybe they're right. I don't know. What can I do? They know more than I do. After all, what can I do? What can I say? And, you know, as we mentioned, we were talking about the three wise men, the Magi, a few weeks ago. And what really struck me, and you can look through my YouTube channel and see some of the teachings, but what really struck me is that the three wise men went on to Bethlehem. None of the Jewish leaders went. None of the biblical none of the biblical law people went. Only these Gentiles that came from a thousand miles away. And it led me to start thinking that we have to go to Christ. We have to go and be disciples. We have to go and serve the king, even if nobody else goes. It's not a popularity thing. It's not something that you do because your friends are doing it. You may have to go do it and be killed while you're doing it. We had everybody shut down because of a virus. I mean, that's, that's a horrible precedent. We want to go when it's convenient to go. We want to be disciples when it's convenient to be a disciple. But Paul says we're going to see casualties. We have to stand in the battle. We have to stand strong. We have to be, be able to withstand suffering. And we have to get the power of his might. We don't have strength of our own. We have a little bit varying degrees and different people, but our strength is not going to take over, is not going to be able to fight the darkness. No little group of us, no individual person, not even a million people of us can take on the degeneration that's going on in our world. And it will soon, the world will soon be judged, but we can't we can't take care of all of that except in his might, capital H and capital M it should be. In his might, we can do that because he's sufficient, we're not sufficient. You know, Paul says, of all the sinners, I'm the worst one. Everybody can say that. People say, well, wait a minute, worst one? You're St. Paul, how can you be the worst? Because I'm the worst one. The good I want to do, I don't do. The bad things I don't want to do, that's what I keep doing wretched man that I am. Anybody can say that. He's sufficient. We're not. So we have to rely on his might, rely on his power, and we have to move in faith. We have to go into this battle with faith. You know, in the in the first chapter of James, I was teaching at a group last night, but what I really, I really like, there's a line in it, um, Chapter one, I can't remember. It's a, it's probably three quarters of the way through the chapter, where it says you don't doubt. You move ahead in faith, because if you doubt, you become like waves that are blown around by the wind. You become a wind. You become a, a reed blowing in the wind, as Jesus says. You don't know what to believe, and you're going to change your mind. Paul says people are going to by any wind of doctrine that comes by. We don't really need to know that 
because that was written 2,000 years ago. That was written 3,000 years ago. We've, we're way past all that because now we've really evolved. We really are with it now. Don't go back to that old-fashioned stuff. But we know that that's not the case because we stand on a foundation and we move in faith in this battle. And he says, put on the whole armor, the whole armor. What was the point of armor? Well, you covered your body because swords and spears and arrows, and we're going to get into that next week, all the weapons of the time, you covered yourself with some iron. And then in the Middle Ages, it really got, there were whole suits of armor, as you know, with the knights. But you had every part of your body covered. You even had a visor that you looked through. So you wouldn't get wounded in the eyes. So you couldn't leave any part of your body exposed because it could be attacked. Any place an arrow could land. So you have to put on a whole armor. And because it's the whole armor of God, this is a proper defense. It's not something that you make. It's not something that you decide what you're going to do. And there's a strong weapon that's included. We're going to get into that. It's the sword, which is the word of God. This is why you commonly see pictures of St. Paul holding a sword. Or in some churches, you see statues of St. Paul with a sword. Because he talks about how the sword is the word of God. So God prepares the armor, and he provides the armor. Because you put on the whole armor of God. In other words, it's already there. It's already made. You have to put it on. You don't make the armor. You don't go get the parts, put it together. He makes the whole armor. You have to put it on. He provides it, prepares it, and it's the proper defense. And the armor is for us because he knows what kind of spiritual battles we're in, obviously. Remember, Satan taught nothing of tempting Jesus, the Messiah, the God-man. So you think, he, you think he's not going to come after you? And God understands that. So the armor is for us, but we have to put it on. We have to approach that in prayer and understand that we have to put the armor on. The armor we devise is not going to work. Oh, I go to church every Sunday. That's great. Oh, I say a prayer once a day. Great. Once in a while, I yes, wonderful. But you can't devise what your defense is because Satan could have all of us for breakfast. He's been around a long time. Very intelligent. He knows the scriptures better than you do. Well, nowadays, that's not saying much. But he knows the scriptures better than you do. And he can wait you out. He's been around a long time. Doesn't have to sleep. He doesn't have to eat. Our armor will not work. So only the armor that God provides will work. Because we have to fight these assaults that come from the devil. He's an adversary. In fact, we get the word Satan from the Hebrew hasatan that means the adversary. The adversary. An adversary is somebody who is against you. 
Satan wanted to destroy the human race, starting with Adam and Eve, and he wreaked havoc getting to Eve and Adam in that order. He wreaked havoc. And it took Messiah coming to be the second Adam, as Paul says in the book of Romans, becomes the second Adam in order to set things right to be the only the only solution to the sin problem. Because Satan puts out the lies, he puts out the deceits, he puts out snares. And boy, in our time, I, I know everybody's probably already said this all through history, in our time the snares are much more powerful, much more complex than they have been in the past. Some of it's on your cell phone, some of it's on your computer, some of it's on your television. You don't even have to leave the house to be snared. So the armor is the defense against that. And like I said, we can't have any part of us exposed. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Ooh, so we're not wrestling, we're not fighting against people. If you're fighting against people, you know how to fight people. You see where they are, you know what their strengths and weaknesses are, you know what kind of weapons they have, you know what kind of weapons you have. You can figure out how to build a defense, you can figure out how to attack. But we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against powers that we can't even see. We can't see the enemy. Principalities, these are strong governments. These are kingdoms. We're fighting against them, the rulers of the darkness. Satan's the top one and all those little subordinates. They're, they're rulers of the darkness. Jesus called Satan the ruler of the, of the, the, the ruler of the world. That the ruler of the world is about to be judged. Paul called him the prince of the power of the air. Not something to be taken lightly. They're spiritual hosts of wickedness. Wickedness. We're seeing that now. I'm not going to go through all the things we're seeing in our time, but you know what they are. And ask yourself, were we talking about this 20 years ago? Even 10 years ago? No. Wickedness. Heavenly places, in Paul's time, in ancient times, the heavens were anything that was above the earth, anything that was over the ground, it included the atmosphere, space, heaven, whatever they thought about it. But these battles are going on everywhere, and we're not fighting against other people. So Paul shows us here what the danger really is. It's a huge danger. It's not fighting against a group of people, not fighting against one person. So he's going to show us why we need the whole armor, or else we'll be a casualty, and it won't take long. So the power, he's trying to emphasize what the power of this is. And these are powers of darkness. They're not earthly forces. They're not flesh and blood enemies. For example, 
the attack by Hamas on October 7th was a dark, demonic, horrible attack. It was done by men. The men can be killed. The spirits that promoted the attack, provoked the attack, cannot be killed by us. So we have to keep in mind we're not fighting just the flesh and blood. So it's it's a very difficult enemy because Satan is very subtle. And of course, like you always hear me say, everything starts in the garden. Everything started with Satan interacting with Eve. You have to read that for your homework. I don't know what to tell you. I'm pretty sure you all know that story. He's very intelligent. It's a, it was a very well-constructed argument he had with Eve, which sounded very nice. Eve was, very intel- Eve was much more intelligent than we are because they were the two, they were perfect human beings. Their minds weren't clouded with stuff. They didn't have def- defects in their body and their brain. And Satan's also very patient. He can wait you out. He doesn't have to get you under control today. He can do it tomorrow. He can do it next week. And he has thousands of weapons that if you look around, you see them. All different ways to come after you. All different avenues. He's the head of this kingdom of darkness. We fight for the kingdom of light. So we're his enemies. You know, Jesus, Yeshua himself said, you're either with me or you're against me. It's not a middle ground. Well, I like to have a little Jesus in my life, and I like to go on Sunday morning, and, well, you know, the service is very nice, and music's very nice. But, you know, a little bit. It's improved my life a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a nice addition. That doesn't make you a soldier. That makes you a casualty. We're his enemies. Satan doesn't care if you go to church. He doesn't care if you pray once every few months or whenever you have some problem in your life, you decide to say a prayer. Satan doesn't care about that. He doesn't want you praying all the time. He doesn't want you reading the scripture and telling people about Jesus, telling people the gospel all the time. Because in Colossians, Paul writes that Jesus made a spectacle of Satan on the cross. Satan doesn't want you to know that because we're our, we are his enemies. And these fighting, this fighting is going on in all these, what he calls heavenly places, all around us, in the atmosphere and space and the heavens, and everywhere. And we're sometimes not even aware of what the assaults are. Because it's an unseen enemy. You get a prompting for something that actually sounds pretty reasonable. Makes a lot of sense. You know, if I do this, I can make a little more money. Yeah, who doesn't need a little more money? I could get a nicer car. I could get a nicer house. I could send the kids to a nicer school. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe, I don't know. I don't know if it's all ethical and moral, but after all, it sounds pretty good. It's an unseen enemy. And so it's sometimes hard to fight when you can't see the assault. 
And even for those of us that are believers, he tries to discourage us. Oh, I can't believe you're going over there. Those people could care less what you're talking about. Nobody there cares what you have to say. Nobody there knows anything of what you're talking about. Come on. Friday night, you worked all week. You're tired. Get some rest. Take care of yourself. Maybe go out with some of your friends. Have some fun. And he tries to prevent us from getting blessings for working for the kingdom. Tries to neutralize us in the fight. Tries to limit our communication with heaven. People say, well, I don't hear God tell me anything. Well, what's probably happening is you're not listening. You can't hear his little voice because it's not a booming voice that comes to you. It's the little breeze that Elijah heard. It's the still, small voice. So Satan knows how to interfere with all that, and he tries to discourage us. Verse 13, therefore. I love when Paul writes, therefore. Because Paul builds up logical arguments and says, so therefore. He doesn't just tell you the concept. He builds up the thing like Romans is the most powerful example. But therefore, take up the whole armor of God. He repeats it. Take up the whole armor of God that you may, able to, you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. You need the armor so that you can stand in an evil day, which is almost every day. Some days are more evil than others. But after you've done everything that I'm going to tell you, you'll be able to stand. You'll be able to stand. Otherwise, you're a guaranteed casualty. Any pipsqueak demon will be laughing hysterically if you think you're going to take them on by yourself. So you have to be able to stand. And withstand. We can't yield to the assaults. We have to withstand the temptations. We have to strive to go against sin in all of its forms. And to explain to people what's actually happening. That's another big part of it. So we have to stand our ground. It's like an army that doesn't retreat. We have a defensive line. We're going to get to the offensive line next week. But we're a defensive line. We can't yield the line. We can't retreat. And we can't compromise. What's in the foundation of the scripture and 2,000 years of Christian teaching and 4,000 years of Judeo-Christian morality is still in effect today. Despite what the world says, despite what any political party says, still in effect today. Also in the first chapter of James, It says God has no shadow of turning. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't go with the times, so to speak, like we do. So we can't compromise. Can't retreat, can't compromise. So we have to keep in mind who's our king. We have to keep in mind what our cause is. And we have to move in faith and not doubt. Because the doubt will make you like the wind blowing the waves around. Like the reeds blowing in the wind, you'll fall for any wind of doctrine that comes along. And Satan knows that. And he knows how to manipulate you. 
join this church. You might get rich real quick. Yeah. How come, how come I haven't heard that before? Well, the reason you haven't heard that before is that it's a new trick in a materialistic 20th and 21st century world. Nobody talks anymore about deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. It's all about being comfortable and being with it and enjoying your life, your physical life. And so this is the beginning of the second. Next week, well, next week we're going to finish it because next week we're going to go through, might be three parts, who knows? But next week we're going to go through each of the parts of the armor and get to the offensive weapon, which is the sword, which is the word of God. So keep in mind, you need the armor, you need the defense, you need to stand your ground, and you can't do it of your own. You can't do it with your own defenses. You can't make up a plan that's going to do it. You have to put on the whole armor. So next week we'll continue, and next week we'll, we'll be back 